Hello and welcome back to another episode of A Cozy Christmas Podcast. My name is Art and it is Christmas week, everyone. I hope that you are having a wonderful time celebrating Christmas. I'm sure I am. Even though I'm recording this about a week before Christmas, I know I have high hopes that my Christmas is going really well. So if not, I'll just edit this part out. (laughs) Okay. But yeah, our plans this year, we're going to keep it things pretty simple. All my kids will be home. We've got some family coming in. My, My wife's folks will be coming in for a visit. I just love this week between Christmas and New Year's. I always try to keep it as a week of relaxing, of resting, getting refreshed, reading good books, watching, catching up on the Christmas movies we didn't get to see during December because I don't think Christmas should end on the Christmas day, especially at the very least that week between Christmas and New Year's. Celebrate it. Today, I have another interview with a cozy mystery author. Her name is Peggy Earhart, and uh, she's written several different cozy mystery series and uh, has uh, a few that are Christmas based. So I have a delightful chat with her. And I had hoped to get this interview out before Christmas, but um, it just didn't work out that way, which, and that's fine. So I will uh, go ahead and play the interview I had with Peggy, and I'll come back on at the end to wrap up a few things for this Christmas season of 2022. I have a, a wonderful guest with us today. Her name is Peggy Earhart, and she is the author of the Knit and Nibble Mystery Series. It's a, a delightful, cozy mystery series that uh, the, the main character, is. her name is uh, Pamela. She is a part of, uh, I guess, a knitting group, and uh, there's food involved as well in a lot of her stories. Uh, so I am not a knitter at all. No one is surprised by that, but I do enjoy a good, cozy mystery and uh, some food. And this book is both couple I've read of hers is Silent Knit, Deadly Knit, as well as the uh, no- Christmas novella, Death of a Christmas Card Crafter. Uh, so Peggy, welcome to the Cozy Christmas Podcast. Thank you. It is uh, really great to have you on and hope you are uh, in the Christmas spirit along with everyone else. I'm wearing my red sweater today. <laughs> okay, perfect. I had on a uh, Christmas sweatshirt, but it was getting a little too warm in here, so I had to take it off. <laughs> Some folks might not know a whole lot about you. You want to just go ahead and introduce who you are and a little bit about your book series. Sure. I have a doctorate in medieval literature. I always knew I wanted to be a writer, but it took the detour of going to graduate school and becoming a writer of academic works, including a book that I'm very proud of. But I think I always yearned to do something more creative, not that scholarly work isn't creative. So in 1989, I had, I guess, a midlife crisis, and I started playing the guitar, and I wrote my first mystery. My uh, mystery writing career as a published author, though, didn't start until 2008. So I only could say I'm very persistent. I was writing and writing and writing. And in 2008, I finally got a publisher who wanted to publish one of my books. That was a different series. It was a very short-lived series because there were only two books in it. Mm. But then in uh, 2017, no, 2016, I magically got an email from an agent, which almost never happens. 
but I had a website up from the previous series and he had seen my work on the website. And cozy mysteries with craft themes have become wildly popular in the last maybe decade even. Mm -hmm. And publishers are actually recruiting writers to write them. And the agent who contacted me worked closely with Kensington Press, a particular editor there, who was looking for a knitting series. And my response was, aren't there already a lot of them out there? Because there are. But apparently, if readers like a knitting series, they're going to like more and more and more of them. It's not like buying a car where you can only have one car. Mm -hmm. If you're going to read a mystery with a knitting theme, you're just as happy to read another and another and another and another. So that was how I got launched with Kensington. And it's just been terrific fun. I have uh, only good things to say about the press and the editor I work with there. And the uh, schedule of doing the books, I'm happy to just work busily, busily at them. I'm retired from the teaching career now. And some years I do even a couple books in a year. I uh, looked at a couple of uh, reviews of your books and I found one website that made one of the recipes uh, from your one of your novels and it looked very delicious. I think it was a, like a lemon cake of some kind. That looked yeah, really, well, really good. Yeah, there, there's a lemon cake that was in a fatal yarn, as sure. I recall. It was a lemon cake, lemon yogurt cake, with a kind of a uh, cream cheese and butter frosting. That's the one. And yes, it was delicious. There's a, there's a feature that sometimes appears on Criminal Element that they call cooking the books. Mm. And it may have been that. That's the this website, yeah. Yes, and they, the, the person picks a recipe from a mystery and then makes it herself and mm. photos it, step-by-step -step photos, and then posts that. So those are a lot of fun. And I, I didn't know about that one, but I think there have been a couple others from my other books that have appeared in Cooking the Books. Mm -hmm. And this uh, novella collection that just came out, the uh, Christmas Scarf Murder, I have a novella in that with two other authors who also have novellas. Cooking the Books did a review of the Christmas Scarf Project, but cooked one of the other recipes, uh, not a dessert, even a delicious baked chicken recipe mm. that one of my co-authors created. So yes, Cooking the Books is a wonderful tie-in of the cooking and the mystery and the reviews. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll be sure to link that website below because I, I, I saw it. I didn't spend a lot of time there, but I, I saw I, I got distracted by all the beautiful pictures of food. So <laughs> people tell me they get hungry when they read my books. Yes, absolutely. Uh, which which is great because, you know, there are so many cozies, which which is great. I, I love them. And you wonder, okay, well, where do I start? There's so many. So I always say, well, start in the occupation that interests you. You know, there's some in coffee shops, in bookstores. Yeah. Those are the like the two that appeal mostly to me. But the the food aspect too, I I, I don't know. I just love reading about it. And now in uh, Silent Knit, Deadly Knit, you have a recipe for a uh, delicious sounding poppy seed cake. I think uh, a Christmas poppy seed cake. Yeah, uh, which, it's divine. Uh, yeah. I've been making it for about 45 years. 
Oh. I got the recipe from my sister mm -hmm. ages ago. She worked at, well, it was kind of a, it was a restaurant sort of, but it was like a lunch counter type restaurant, but they would bake their own desserts and people would stop in and maybe just buy a slice of something with a cup of coffee. And she got the recipe there from the woman who ran the place. It's called Liza's Ukrainian Poppy Seed Cake. No one ever knew who Liza was. It does mm -hmm. seem like something that could be Ukrainian with the poppy seeds. And it has this sort of a delicious um, Eastern European flair to it. So I've been making that at Christmas ever since. I'm going to be making some in the next few weeks. And yes, it's the real, real home recipe of mine. Mm. So it has been uh, time tested, kid tested, mother approved, all that, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. I make it every year and give it gifts. Everyone always loves it. Sure. Yeah, it's become sort of a tradition. Mm, I mean, it's one, become a tradition, not sort of a tradition. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we can't have Christmas without this poppy seed cake. So, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and on my website also, I should mention, I have pictures mm -hmm. of food. Mm -hmm. For every book, there is a recipe, sometimes more than one recipe. And on my website, I have a page for each book. And on the page for the book, I have the book cover, I have a blurb about the book, various things about the book. And then I always have photos of the recipe and photos of the knitting project. There's always a knitting project as well. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I have in-progress photos for those things, if there are steps that it might help the person to see how you do this uh, visually. Mm -hmm. So yet yeah, there are pictures on my website of all the food that is uh, recipes in the book, not all the food they cook, because they're cooking mm -hmm. all the time. That would take a lot, <laughs> right. take me a long time to cook all those things myself and photograph them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what? Just so I don't forget, what's your website uh, name? It's just my name. Okay. It's just www.peggyearhart, all one word, dot com. All right. I try to always include those websites, uh, but then sometimes I forget to ask. So, <laughs> okay, we got it. Yeah. So, so you've written a cup, uh, a Christmas novel, a couple of novellas in this series. When it comes time to doing a Christmas book, is it something you decide, I want this one to be at Christmas, or do your publishers kind of suggest this is what we'd like next? The, the full-length one that you've talked about, Silent Knit, Deadly Knit, mm -hmm. that was my idea. I, that was the fourth one that I wrote, and when I got the contract for a new batch of them, and that was the first of the new batch, I contacted my agent and I said, I'd, I'd love to do a Christmas-themed book. Is, it, is this possible to be released in the winter? So that would be appropriate. And he said, well, I'll check with the editor. And they liked the idea. So that's how that came about. But then perhaps I had put the seed in their minds that I wrote Christmas things because I was invited to do the two novellas. Mm. I believe Kensington gets the idea for a theme, mm -hmm. Christmas card murder. And there have been, before I ever became part of this, they did these collections. I think there's a Yule log murders out there somewhere and a couple other things. Yeah. So that was something where my editor got the idea and then recruited the authors 
you know, we were invited and we could say, no, I don't want to do it, but who would ever say that? I certainly wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's what happened with those two, the Christmas card and the Christmas scarf. And actually, I think in a first, Kensington is doing a St. Patrick's Day themed novella collection, mm -hmm. uh, Irish Milkshake. And I believe it's up to all of us to decide what an Irish milkshake might be like. But I'm going to be writing a novella for that as well. I don't know what an Irish milkshake is, but it sounds delicious. <laughs> I'm having fun. I haven't written that one yet. I haven't started even, but I've done a long outline. Sure. So I figured all that out, what the Irish milkshake will be and who yeah. gets killed, of course, and all those things. Right. Now, uh, when you write, are you... Do you, do you outline a lot or do you just kind of write by the seat of your pants, as it were? I've always been an outliner mm -hmm. because I like the very tight, traditional mystery. And with multiple suspects, all kinds of clues that aren't really clues, but are red herrings, but they look like clues. And then the sort of hidden clues that only the sleuth can recognize that come mm -hmm. together at the end to create the solution. And... I think in order to do that, at least I have to really plot it out ahead of time. And when I started writing for Kensington, my editor really likes to get a detailed outline ahead of time. So that was fine with me because I always did that anyway. Mm -hmm. So yes, I write long, long, long outlines. And I usually lay them out day by day. Each of my full-length mysteries takes place over about two weeks or so. And so I just... In, at the beginning, when I'm thinking about my outline, I just open a Word file on the computer and I just put Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, like that as, as headings. Mm. And then I just fill in. But uh, before I even do that, I make lists of who are the suspects. Uh, what reason would this particular suspect, first I have to think of the victim, that really comes first. Who did they kill? Mm -hmm. And what was that person like? And then who all is out there that might have wanted this person to be dead? And what would what particular motive would that person have? So I build it up like that. Oh, that's interesting. I, I love asking that question because just about everyone is different how they go about writing a story. And uh that that one I, I like I like your approach to it. That's might be how my brain works a little bit. <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, it is. Yeah. It is. And people think, oh, that's so uncreative. But to me, making the outline is creative. In my mind, I'm laying out the whole story. I'm simply not writing the prose that, you know, the artistic, let's say, prose mm -hmm. that will connect these events. But in mm -hmm. my mind, the whole story is already happening. Now, I got to bring this up, and this might get us um, off track a little bit. But when I was reading your your bio just a little bit ago, actually, and I don't know why I hadn't noticed this before, but you have a doctorate in uh, what was it, medieval literature? Yeah, yes, uh, I do. What what uh, what drew you into that field? I think the art. Actually, I, I love medieval art. It mm -hmm. it's um, everything seems so clear. <laughs> How to say it? it? It was you know, it was a world that. The Christian medieval Europe, um, and now the whole field of medieval studies is expanding. People are realizing, yes, it was the Middle Ages in other places, too. There was a 13th century somewhere else, not just mm -hmm. in France. But 
that because they had that Christian worldview, which I personally don't really have, but mm-hmm. it was so appealing because everything seemed to make sense. And the art is in a way so tranquil. It just it's comforting to look at to look into those little worlds. And I used to go to I lived in San Francisco then. I used to go to the museum in Golden Gate Park, and I would just stare into these little medieval pictures. And I thought I I, I would like to be there. <laughs> and so when I applied to grad school, the applications always say, "What do you want to study?" And I would put um, the Middle Ages. Hmm. And then people always say, well, why don't you write medieval mysteries? And I guess because they're out there, that Brother Cadfeld, for example, is a classic example. Right. I think I just used it up. I learned what I wanted to learn about it, and I loved it, and I enjoyed it. I really wallowed in it, you might say, for years and years and decades. But I now I, it's time to do something different. I'm trying to imagine what a... a, a- cozy mystery set in medieval time which would be like i don't know <laughs> that would be <laughs> that'd be interesting um, but <laughs> i mean those could work better than let's say a hard-boiled mystery set in medieval time there you are <laughs> if one to digress um onto the middle ages if if one wanted to do that it it would sort of have to be an amateur sleuth unless you made your sleuth a sheriff or something. So you would, again, have that question of why is this person trying to solve this crime and what possible expertise could this person bring to solving the crime? The thing about these craft cozies, which mine is an example of, is that it's an they're always an amateur sleuth. It's usually a woman, which is preposterous. I mean, it's an amateur could solve any crime at all. It's preposterous, not that it's a yeah. woman. But the what makes them sort of work is that this crafter knows things that the police don't know. The crafter recognizes different grades of yarn, for example, or let's say the craft cozy deals with a gardener. The a gardener knows when certain plants bloom and mm-hmm. what plants are affected by what chemicals, for example. And um, a bread baker might recognize a rival baker's particular style of folding a bread crust. And so if there are poisoned loaves out there, the bread baker might recognize, oh, I know who made those because I know that you know Joe's Bakery always has that extra little twist at the edge. Mm. So these craft cozies have a lot of uh, possibilities that, that, that make it fun to, to set up clues and then show that your sleuth is the only person who could have seen that clue. So uh, in your series, uh, it deals with the world of knitting, which uh, in part, which to me is a, a whole new field. But what I enjoyed is I, I mean, I love learning about new things. So even though I had no idea what they would talk about when they talk about yarn and knitting patterns. It was it was really neat just to to learn along with that. So I guess another question. One I did have one listener ask about reading some of these some of the cozy series. And would you recommend starting with book one in your series, or can they like read the Christmas edition one and then go back and catch up uh, later? They can really do whatever they whatever they want each yeah each book is completely self-contained as far as the mystery goes 
unlike some of those things on Netflix now where you have to watch the whole season right. <laughs> with endless digressions to see what finally happened. Each each book is, of course, self-contained. There's a, a victim at the beginning, there are suspects, there are clues, and by the end, the sleuth has figured out who did it. So it's, of course, very satisfying in that regard. I do have a, a, an overarching a romantic theme. Uh, romance is often a subplot in these cozy mysteries. I wonder why, because mm -hmm. most of the readers are women. But um, <laughs> so it, there, there is uh, some question of whether my sleuth will ever find love and happiness. She's a young widow. Mm -hmm. uh, she's in her forties, and she has a daughter in college, and she's attractive, but she's not aware really of how attractive she is. She just thinks she's a normal person and she's happy with her life. But I wanted the possibility of a, a romantic theme. And so I purposely made her mature, but not really old. Although of course, old people can fall in love naturally mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. too. So I don't mean to be denigrating the notion of love among the 80 year olds. But so yes, there's a man at the beginning and then could this happen? Maybe, maybe not. And then it maybe isn't going to happen. And then she meets another man. And so that kind of goes on and on and on. And uh, when people talk to me about my books, sometimes they say, is she ever going to get together with that nice man or what's going to happen next? Yeah. So those that does happen sequentially. So if you read the first one first and then read through them, you're getting that in its sensible order. But I don't think you would be uh, too disappointed if you read them out of order, because that's only a very small part of the overall uh, focus of the books. Yeah, yeah. I I kind of, I, I felt the same way. Um, like I read Silent Knit, Deadly Knit. I think that's book five. I've read your novella, um, which that definitely worked as a standalone uh, as far as that goes you know not having read any of the series before that i personally I, I hate reading things out of order so i like to start with book one uh but yeah i would definitely say uh, you know if you really like christmas book set books um i i think i don't think it'd be too hard to to, to get caught up on what the series is about in reading this but but yeah yeah so i mean basically just the best thing to do is just go out and buy all of her books and then start reading them, right? Right? <laughs> well, for the novellas, I purposely in, made them kind of standalones in the romance sense mm -hmm. because I thought exactly what you've kind of alluded to. People might just pick that up. In fact, they might pick it up because they really like Carlene O'Connor a great deal better than they like me, <laughs> and they want to read Carlene O'Connor's novella. And then they think, oh, here's this other thing. I'll read this. So in the novellas, I purposely don't really do much with the romance plots. The The man in her life might be in there, but they, they don't break up. They don't get more serious. She doesn't meet a new man, for example. It's just, he's just kind of there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so those, you wouldn't feel that you had missed a step in the romance uh, subplot uh, overarching theme if you read one of those first. Right. So you have one coming out uh, right now. Is it in, in the, the novella collection? Well, that's out. Um, the Christmas Scarf yeah, Murder. Yeah, the Christmas Scarf Murder. It's yeah. this year's Christmas collection. It's really been out since September. But as we know, Christmas sure. now starts as soon as the summer is over. 
yeah. as far as the stores are concerned. So yes, that's been out for a while, but that is this year's collection, Christmas Scarf Murder uh, uh, Novellas. All right. Uh, so yeah, I'd, I'd recommend the, the uh, that set. Christmas Card Murder has your other novella, your series. Uh, has a uh, one at least one Christmas book in it. One, um, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's a great series. Pamela was an enjoyable protagonist to read about, and I, I'm I'm going to circle back and start reading through. I think uh, it's oh, it's a really fun series. Well, I've got some uh, uh, Christmas questions here for you to kind of uh, get to know you more, and uh, we can find out some things about you and Christmas. Start off with all this. Do you prefer uh, eggnog, hot cocoa, or something else to drink during Christmas time? Oh, I love eggnog. Mm. I, I don't I don't make my own, but I, I buy it at the grocery store. Then I put a little bit of brandy or something in it, just a little for the flavor. Yeah. Yes, I do love eggnog. Yeah, me too. Uh, I mean, I like both, but uh, eggnog is my uh, go-to go-to drink this Christmas time. So, uh, but yeah, I don't I don't make my own either. I there's a company in in Iowa where I, I live in Iowa, and they mm. kind of distribute uh to the midwest and they have just the best eggnog i've ever had so mm-hmm. uh yeah eggnog definitely how about uh this this one might be a really loaded question but how about uh favorite christmas foods not desserts uh we'll, we'll ask about desserts in the next question but do you have a favorite christmas, christmas food? food not really because thanksgiving is turkey mm-hmm. and i always make a roast goose or duck duck long island duckling for new year's mm-hmm. christmas foods sometimes just a, a good roast you know a beef roast and some some good potatoes my son and daughter-in-law are vegetarians which is fine and mm-hmm. i think really everyone should be but i like meat too much um yeah so for the last several years when we entertained them on christmas I make a vegetarian feast and I've, I've got some very good vegetarian kind of centerpiece recipes, like a mushroom loaf that you wrap in puff pastry. It's perfectly delicious mm-hmm. and uh, various stuffed uh, squash things, that sort of thing turn out really well or things involving that um, phyllo pastry, you know, with vegetables and you get a nice sort of uh, pastry ish fancy look with wrapping things up in that for example. Mm-hmm. So, and I just made, oh, it was delicious for his birthday, which is on Thanksgiving, my son's birthday, something from the New York Times. It's called lasagna butternut pie, butternut squash pie. You break up the lasagna noodles and you layer them with sliced butternut squash and spinach and a delicious sauce that you make with a red, uh, like red bell peppers, you know, pimento, all sorts of things. And you bake it wrapped up tight in foil in a pan for over an hour. And it just gets all infused through everything with these flavors. And the lasagna noodles get cooked, even though they start out raw. You don't cook them ahead of time like you do with regular lasagna. Mm -hmm. It's quite um, spectacular looking because when you sort of unmold it, then you have this thing that's shaped like a cake. And you can slice it as if it was the cake, but it's these layers inside. I was gonna yeah. say, and, and this is why uh, her books will make you hungry, everyone. So <laughs> 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 we are drooling. That sounds good. <laughs> Although you, now you've given me a, a 
interesting idea for an episode topic about uh, uh, Christmas foods for like vegetarians and vegans and, and people who follow oh, yeah, that diet. Yeah. So yeah, that might be a good idea done. I'll have to jot that down. Well, Thanks. There, <laughs> I mean, there's such delicious recipes out there. And yeah. I love to cook. So I, I feel that one shouldn't be hampered uh, in a menu. If someone says, uh, I, I don't eat meat, there's plenty mm-hmm. of delicious other things that one can make. And I have fun with these mm. grand vegetarian holiday meals as well. Yeah, cool. Now, just to really get people hungry, how about your favorite Christmas dessert? Oh, well, I think chocolate mousse, actually. I love chocolate mousse. And in one of the novellas, I think the Christmas card murder, that's the recipe, but it's a chocolate mousse cake, which is perfectly divine. Mm. It's a three-layer thing. The bottom layer is a flourless chocolate cake-like thing. But then the next layer is a chocolate mousse. And then you sprinkle just uh, un- unsweetened uh, cocoa over the top. And the bitter makes a very nice contrast because, of course, everything else is just as sweet as you ever could believe. And so you have these contrasting flavors. It makes a wonderful Christmas dessert. It's just spectacular, yeah. sumptuous, rich. Yeah, well, you, you had me at chocolate. I mean, that, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's perfect. Then do you have a uh, do you have a favorite Christmas song? Oh well, <laughs> our son used to be in a punk band a long time ago. He loved that that style of music, and he put together a compilation CD of sort of punk Christmas songs <laughs> that we put on every year. Nice. And there's one this one called Christmas is for Mugs. And it's this mournful thing about this poor man who all the needles fall off his tree and he uh, wants to punch out Santa Claus, et cetera. And this mournful sort of punk voice, with punk instrumentation. And mm-hmm. the refrain is Christmas is for mugs. <laughs> it's not very uh, cozy holiday type of thing, but every year that right. that collection that CD collection goes on while we're trimming the tree and I always enjoy hearing those songs again yeah and and, and that was uh done by your son you said it was a, it was not his band it was oh he he just put together a collection of some of his favorite kind of oh okay traditional Christmas songs and he gave us a copy Sure. Oh, that's fun. Not an answer I was expecting, but I love it. <laughs> that's awesome. Now, this this one might be, I don't know about your house, this one can be a pretty divided question. Uh, do you use uh, colored lights or white lights on your tree? Oh, now we use colored lights. I used to be a white lights person, mm. but our son just loved the colored lights. And he said, no, mom, can't we have, why can't we have colored lights like everyone else? So then I got some strings of colored lights and that's what goes up on there now. Yes. Colored yeah. lights. Uh, actually this year we do have colored lights on because I couldn't find the white ones. So <laughs> <laughs> it, so we had to make do, but, but yeah, I, I like, I like both the colored ones have that nostalgic uh, feel to me. Cause you know, that's what I kind of grew up with, but yeah. I yeah. love, I love the white lights with the, with the green. It just, it contrasts so beautifully. And yes, yes. Yeah, I like the white lights. Yeah. But no, now we're, we're sort of um, irrevocably in the colored light camp. Yeah. Uh, now, do you have um, your Christmas tree, do you have it like a themed decoration or do you just 
throw out any ornaments you have or we have we have collections that go mm -hmm. way 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 back to even the first christmas tree ornaments we had when we were as a married couple which we bought at a garage sale we had absolutely no money then it was a long time ago we were just starting out and we were thrilled to find these ornaments at a garage sale so we still put those on and those are just the old-fashioned little balls you know and um we have ornaments we collected from vacations like a uh, pretzel from milwaukee for example um mm -hmm. you know those things that you find in the gift shops when you travel to remind you of your your trip we have a whole bunch of those vacation collection ornaments ornaments that i've found at estate sales i love going to estate sales and buying old old vintagey things at this point i have enough ornaments to do about four trees and so <laughs> Yep. So we pick and choose every year, mm -hmm. but it's the old fashioned look. It's the, the old fashioned look with n not a theme, not a color scheme. Mm -hmm. um, very vintagey. I, I like those garlands too. Uh, I just found a, a new gar a new old garland at an estate sale a couple of weeks ago. It's like peppermint candies, but they're just plastic, of course. But it's a chain, you know, a string, a mm -hmm. strand that you can wrap around. So I have several things like that. We put those on. Yeah. Just awesome. Just sort of keep doing until I get, I'm usually not doing it until I get tired. Yeah. Like, yeah good enough. Ornaments away and that's that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we do the same kind of idea and, and we love picking up ornaments when we're on vacation. Um, you know, we, we've got ones from all over where we've been. Uh, we, we, We'll usually each get an ornament. Uh, often it's an ornament that reflects some event that happened to us during the year. Uh, like the year my son graduated high school, you know, he got a, like a diploma kind of ornament. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, so it, it becomes a, a, what I call it, the, the family scrapbook, you know, that. I was just thinking that too. Um, yeah. It's like a sort of a, a journal or a diary. And yeah, I think it's, sort of traditional at the end of the year, people look back and over that year, over previous years, it's a sort of a taking stock time. Mm -hmm. And yet the ornaments can kind of function like that. You get them out and then you remember, oh, I remember when we got this, I remember when we got that. Yeah. I think I mentioned on one of the my last episodes, but uh my my son, my oldest son, his baby's first Christmas ornament broke this year. It, oh. I, I was surprised he, even he was a little emotional about it. He's like, oh. you know, <laughs> like, uh Oh, that's not what happened. And I, I can't remember if it was, we dropped it or something happened and it, it broke, but yeah. Yeah. Those, it's funny how those things trigger those, those strong memories, you know, and that's what I like about it. It's like, Oh, I forgot when we did this and yeah. this and that. Yeah. 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 Um, how about uh how about snow? Are you a, a fan or or not? Oh, I love snow. But I grew up in Southern California. Oh. And so we, we didn't have snow for Christmas ever. Uh it snowed yeah. once when I was about four years old and it stayed on the ground for about an hour. And then it melted. But we used to drive to the mountains in Southern California, you know, everything is you can go to the ocean, you can go to the mountains. 
that's why everyone loves it and there's too many people there now which is mm. sad because it's beautiful but i the first time i really lived among snow was when i went to grad school which was the university of illinois in champaign urbana and yes there was there was snow and then now i live in new jersey and i love snow it just mm -hmm. i hope we get snow for christmas it just goes with it yeah yeah uh where we live in iowa we're we're kind of west uh in western iowa kind of central west central and it will depend some years it'll be uh it, we're just kind of right in that spot where we'll either catch the warmer weather from south from the south or mm. we'll get the mm. colder north and we're like right on that line almost mm. and mm -hmm. so it seems like maybe a strong breeze will blow all the snow just north of us and <laughs> oh. Oh. we'll usually get it about uh january or so and I, but i love it i especially now that my kids are old enough to shovel it and I don't have to. <laughs> That's part of it, yeah. 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 Um, you can, if you have to drive anywhere, you know, or, I remember when we were, when my husband and I were both still working, there could be those mornings of getting out of the house to get to your job at 8 or 9 a.m. and you have to shovel the driveway to get your car free. That wasn't fun, I must say. Right. Yeah. Or, trying to scrape the ice off your window you know Ooh, there's you, that yes, didn't have a drive or a garage or anything <laughs> yeah oh well i'll, I'll take it though well just to, to wrap up here i got a, a, a couple uh, uh perhaps uh, a little more reflective questions I, I i suppose but uh one thing i like to try to encourage people is to is to be kind especially at this time of year uh, so i was going to ask if you had any um uh, tips or hints on how to show kindness to others during Christmas? Maybe something somebody's done for you even. Oh, I was trying to think of an answer to that because I saw your questions ahead of time. I'm thinking, well, just in a general sense, to, to try to remember everybody is important to themselves. And <laughs> I think it's easy to overlook that. You just look at, especially people in service positions, as the, they're mm. just this sort of functionary and you don't see them as this is a human being whose life is as important to him as my life is to me. And, you know, we're all humans here together. I certainly always try to treat anybody I come in contact with courteously, particularly people whose position might make it, they could never talk back to you. In other words, you know, it's really on you to be, polite and gracious because perhaps sometimes people aren't gracious to them, but they're sort of trapped there because they have to keep their job and mm -hmm. they can't say what they really would like to say. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, giving monetary gifts to people who have helped us during the year. Mm -hmm. I think I try not to, 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 to buy too much anymore because there's just too many things in the world. And, I like to buy um, estate sale treasures or books, things like that as gifts, because certainly most of the people I know to give gifts to have anything that they ever would need. And yeah. so, yes, I try not to overburden the earth with objects. All these pictures you see behind me are all just sort of thrift store finds that I've picked up here and yeah. there. Well, yeah. I, I noticed them. I, I, I love I love art. Um, it's like, oh, those are beautiful. Those are, those are nice. Yeah. My wife started doing this, uh, being more deliberate about 
showing kindness, especially like you said, to service industry people. I think it was one year she had to go to Walmart. It was getting, it was maybe Black Friday weekend or something, you know. And so you know, she said, you know what? I'm just going to put my, my Santa hat on and I'm going to be really jolly and cheerful to everyone who's working there because because they're probably stressed and people are taking out their frustrations on them and and yeah and uh you know she just ended up having a good time and ended up encouraging others there too which it's so easy to just you know snap at the people like you know because you're frustrated and then yeah i think that's that's good advice definitely and then uh, what makes christmas cozy to, uh, for you, uh, if you wanted to say, I'm going to have a cozy Christmas experience here, what what would that entail? Well, it would be the cooking, of course, and decorating yeah. the tree, as I said, with my old vintage ornaments and mm-hmm. the music and, um, yeah, cooking, the smells, the smell of my poppy seed cake, cooking mm-hmm. fire in the fireplace, of course, mm-hmm. setting the table with I have uh, china that my aunt gave me when I got married, much more mm. than I ever could need. Comes out a couple times a year. Uh, the china comes out. And as yep. you were saying before, these traditions, that if we do them every year, they become traditions and they yeah. become comforting for that reason in a way. This is what we've always done. So the world is still okay, I guess, because we're doing what we've always done. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh yeah, we have uh, some china we were given when we got married. That was, uh, you know, 22 years ago for us. And uh, and then what what is what I find special about it is, it's in a china cabinet that belonged to my grandparents, and and they'd had it in their house for many many years. Uh, when they passed away, yeah. when they when they passed away, my, then my grandpa passed away. Um, they had to kind of empty out the house, you know, and nobody wanted that furniture. So oh. my, my wife said, well, we'll take the China cabinet. And, and then we ended up with that in the dining room table. So to me, what's neat is, you know, I remember sitting at that dining room table when I was a kid, you know, at grandma and grandpa's house yes. at Christmas time. And uh, we can look at old pictures of us there. And then it's, it's like, wow, that's the same cabinet that's sitting right here in my dining room now. And, uh, and that helps add, you know, something special to this time of year, but really throughout the year. Yes, I'm all in favor of rescuing old furniture. The, the idea of the, because there's a new style, mm-hmm. you have to get rid of these beautiful old things. It's just shameful mm-hmm. to me. And the old things are often much nicer, much more nicely made and much more beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know when that dining room table was was made but i i mean my earliest memories it, that table was there you know so it, it's it's probably over 40 years i mean it's definitely over 40 years old uh but sure. that thing is sturdy i mean yeah it, it's it's a beast to move but it's not going anywhere yeah. anytime soon <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. so i bought our table the, our dining room table i bought used and it would be you know this sort of if these walls could talk if these table if this table could talk it would be fascinating to know whose dining room table it had been before and what meal took place around it for example that's one of the things i like about getting a like a used book uh i I like to find the really old ones i love classics 
And then sometimes you'll find some that have inscriptions in the front, you know, like it's, yeah, yeah. And, and that gets my mind going like, oh, who were these people? What was the situation that they gave them this book, you know, and, and absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I love it. It's a little touch of history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Peggy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And uh, I just encourage people to go and check out your series. Uh, it's um, the, uh, again, it's the Knit and Nibble Mystery Series. And uh, the first book in, it's called, is it Murder, She Knit? Murder, She Knit. Yes. Yeah. Yes. My editor thought of that. And it's like Murder, She Wrote. And it was very right. clever that he thought of that. Yeah. It's a good title to kick off the series. So if you want to read an order, that's where you should start. If you want to jump right to the Christmas stuff, uh, well, we, we've talked a little bit about those books today, but they're, they're good. The ones I've read have been really enjoyable. So uh, I'm looking forward to, to, like I said, circling back and starting with book one. Peggy, if people want to find out more about you and your books, they should go to PeggyEarhart.com. That's yeah. your website. Perfect. And Thank you very much. You bet. And best of luck to you this coming year. Uh, I know you've got some projects you're working on, so uh, enjoy that. Thank you. It was fun. All right. Well, you take care and have a Merry Christmas. You too. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right. I want to thank Peggy again for coming on the show and a special thank you again to the good folks at Kensington that uh, helped me reach out to some of their authors to uh, talk talk to this year. I really appreciated uh, their help in this. All right, well, this will probably be the last episode of the year. In January, I want to read one of Dickens's Christmas stories called The Chimes. It actually takes place on New Year's Eve. So I thought that would be a great story to read to you for January. I'm also hoping to set up a Patreon account for this coming year uh, for folks who want to help out the the show in a financial way. There will be some gifts and bonuses you get, some bonus episodes, different things like that. Uh, I'll be working on that in January to put that together. So it's coming down the pipe here soon. Then also we'll be doing a cozy Christmas book club this year and I believe we'll start reading that in February and again in January I'm going to do some planning get some things set up Um, I've already had a couple of you send me an email wanting to be a part of that so please if you would like to be a part of that Christmas book club let me know it will be free for anyone to join and read along with us and we'll take a month to read a book then the next month we will try to find some way to get together to talk about it online whether in a group chat or on a video things like that you know if you know someone in your life who might not listen to this podcast but would be up to reading a christmas book a few times throughout the year um, please share that message with them and uh, we'll get some folks signed up for that and some of the books i'd like to read i know i've had a few suggestions already one is a, a cozy mystery it doesn't have to be you know it can be any modern or classic story just give me some ideas and we'll we'll take a vote on that to see what our first book will be um, so I'm, I'm really excited about that to have a, a group read to do together i will be with you throughout the year i hope you will be with me as well so thank you for all you do if you're not up to listening to christmas but still want to um, 
hang out with me, then uh, I would encourage you to subscribe to my other podcast. It's called The Bookshelf Odyssey. And on that, I interview authors and talk to them about their writing journey uh, to becoming published and the books they write and all kinds of things that our conversations have covered. I've talked to um, some of the nicest people that have such a profound outlook on life that I have been learning from them. It's just been an incredible podcast journey on the Bookshelf Odyssey. So I'd, inc- I'd love for you to be over to jump over there and take a listen. So a lot of ways to hear from me through this coming year. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up for the, the 2022 Christmas season. I have had a great time this year that I cannot tell you how excited I am for this new year coming. So we'll see where, the, where this takes us. And within a few days, we'll be starting our journey to Christmas of 2023. As always, please check out our show notes. You can find um, where you can purchase books for from our guest, as well as ways to help support the podcast in a financial way. But uh, above all, I want to encourage you to be kind to each other and to do good and to remember to honor Christmas in our heart and try to keep it all the year. Have a very Merry Christmas.